hello there. You might want to pull up a chair. I've got a variety of things I will be chatting about today. I actually started out in one direction and now I've winded into a completely new direction. How is that? Well, I was looking at sacrifices, right? One person's sacrifice for the good of all, human sacrifices, babies being sacrificed. I think the United States is a sacrifice zone. So pull up a chair and let me explain how I got here. First, we got here by being so stupid, okay? Because we just hear, now they're able to manipulate us just by the headline, right? The headline will never connect with the rest of the words, but it's just to show us our own stupidity, right? Because they keep telling us to look in the sky, right? Look in the sky because those nuclear bombs are coming down. Look in the sky at all those different planets and stuff. Well, I think we should be looking closer to our own homes. But let me get started here. Did you know that they just crowned a new Miss USA? Yes, they did. All righty now. I think that these beauty pageants are where they send the transgender people who are better looking not quite as ugly as the rest of the lots of transgenders are kicking out these days. So yes, we have a new person, Grace Stanky. Never imagined a nuclear engineer winning the Miss America crown until she did it. Well, imagine that. The 20-year-old University of Wisconsin student spoke with people as she prepares to promote all forms of clean energy during her reign as Miss America 2023. Well, it really is a flash and dash game, isn't it? Show us all these fancy people, all the prizes, all the glad, all the awards. Where's all this stuff come from? I was looking into sacrifices of all kinds. Um, the most common religious sacrifices in ancient Rome were animals, gladiators, slaves, and murders. It is believed that public sacrifices began in Italy around 5000 BC, wherein people sacrificed animals to appease their gods. For the most part of the Roman Republic, killing animals for gods was required in any sort of ceremony, which includes weddings, funerals, and religious festivals as, all, as well. Remember, this is a story that they wrote describing who they are, right? They are Romans, right? However, animal sacrifices began to lose its popularity during the reign of Emperor Augustus. Other reasons that contributed to the sudden downfall of animal sacrifices were the existence of Jesus and the start of Christianity. So now we know that Jesus brought in Christianity and took these people away from paganism, right? But the facts speak for themselves. Paganism never went away. So how did they continue on with these sacrifices if they weren't able to bring up animals to the altar? Well, a lot of it has to do with telling us stories about sacrifices, right? Um, telling us stories about children being sacrificed by losers like Epstein. Uh, people want to people glom on to stories of children being harmed and sacrificed, right? Children at the altar got people going on that Bohemian Grove thing like crazy, right? That whole lie was all about children being sacrificed. Why do they always want to bring the children into it? Well, because the children is where the empathy goes, right? But how did they get to be so stupid? 
Well, because we get all engaged in things and we don't understand how it began, right? I keep talking about we need to understand how these things got started. So look at your headlines today. I'm just going to use this as an example. We have Epstein, right? Epstein every day is in the news about doing this, doing that, lying to this person, Bill Gates, Epstein, this person, that person, right? Well, if anyone would have paid attention to Epstein from the very beginning, and I've got it here. I covered Epstein before anybody else did it in Florida, right? So if you were paying attention, you might have saved yourself a lot of time, okay? Because when Epstein was supposedly killed, murdered, or whatever the story is, in that prison cell, right? Well, it turns out the cameras were not even turned on that night, okay? The cameras were not working. And I did all the shots showing how that really wasn't his body. They were wheeling around and all that stuff. So we started the whole Epstein story of him being supposedly murdered in his jail cell, right? Or, or committed suicide, whatever the story may tell, right? Well, the facts speak for themselves. The cameras were not working that night, okay? So now you take that fact that none of these people, the Whitney Webb, none of these people have even mentioned that fact, okay? And you multiply that times all the shows you see on YouTube, all the news shows you see on the air. And you can start to see where one good scheme about children being abused and sacrificed to the rich can take legs and wings. How much of that is reality? Well, let's explore some of that. But really, it makes us stupid when we continue to talk about these cases which were lies to begin with, right? So people seem to feel happy with their stupidity, right? So why don't any of these people mention that it's suspicious that Epstein was even really murdered, right? Well, because that wouldn't let the stupid people have a story that they could be telling for years and years and, and put on the things in magazines and stuff, right? So um, I think that they stopped doing the sacrifices because they came up with other sacrifices, okay? There's lots of sacrifices going on. In the United States, there are places called sacrifice zones, zones for people who are sacrificed. We also have um, places like Skid Row. Those people are being sacrificed, aren't they? You can go into Skid Row, or you can go into um, that place in Philadelphia, and anything you do within that confined area is okay. You can do drugs, you can do whatever you want, as long as you stay within that zone. So we also have sacrifice zones, okay? A sacrifice zone or sacrifice area is a geographic area that has been permanently impaired by heavy environmental alterations or economic disinvestment, often through locally unwanted land use. So what's going on is that um, is a geographic area, and typically I've been talking about where these dangerous trains run through, right? Dangerous trains are also part of sacrifice zones, right? Those of us who live in these areas are not deemed to be as important as people in other areas, okay? A sacrifice zone is when there is no choice in the sacrifice. Someone else is sacrificing people and their community or land without their permission. 
And then they came up with a new definition. It said, in the name of progress, economic development, education, religion, factories, technology, certain groups of people called inferior may need to be harmed or sacrificed in order for the other groups or superior ones to benefit. Another definition states that sacrifice zones are places damaged through locally unwanted land use causing chemical pollution where residents live immediately adjacent to heavily polluted industries or military bases. That's how we get stuck. So, um, yeah, there's a lot to the sacrifice business, and I believe 100% that the United States is a sacrifice zone, and I'll walk you through all the ways that I got here, okay? One way that people get sacrificed is for wars, okay? And the list of wars by death toll includes all deaths that are directly or indirectly caused by the war. Now, the U.S. does not keep track of people that are murdered by U.S. wars. So, for example, they keep track of their own personnel, okay? So I just did a quick run-through because this Monday is Memorial Day. Memorial Day is an American holiday that honors and mourns the U.S. military personnel who have died while serving in the United States Armed Forces. It is observed on the last Monday of May. Memorial Day originated during the American Civil War when citizens placed flowers on the graves of those who had been killed in battles. It was formerly known as Decoration Day and became an official federal holiday in 1971. Many Americans observe Memorial Day by visiting cemeteries or memorials, holding family gatherings, and participating in parades. Unofficially, it marks the beginning of summer, so most Americans have barbecues where they slap some live animals on the grill, right? Sacrifice some animals on the grill, you get where this is going? So the Civil War, which ended in the spring of 1865, you'll notice it's called the Civil War, C-I-V-I-L. I think something significant happened around this time. And maybe the Civil War will help explain a lot of people going missing from the United States during this time period, right? So, wars can also mean a way to wipe out the fertile male population, right? Leave the women at home as widows, wipe out the men on the battlefield. Okay, Civil War, approximately 625,000 is the highest number, okay? World War II, 405,000. World War I, 116,000. I'm getting my words wrong because of my brain's a little fuzzy today. Vietnam War, 58,000. Korea War, 36,000. Revolutionary War, 25,000. War of 1812, 15,000. Afghanistan, 2,229. Well, Afghanistan was about the poppies, right? Okay, by the late 1860s, Americans in various towns and cities had begun holding springtime tributes to these countless fallen soldiers, decorating their graves with flowers and reciting prayers. It is unclear where exactly this tradition originated. Numerous different communities may have independently initiated the memorial gatherings. In some records, he isn't kind of funny.
funny that all this stuff is so vague now, isn't it? Show that one of the earliest Memorial Day commemorations was organized by a group of formerly enslaved people in Charleston, South Carolina, less than a month after the Confederacy surrendered in 1865. Nonetheless, in 1966, the federal government declared Waterloo, New York, the official birthplace of Memorial Day. So, that was first celebrated in Waterloo, okay, on May the 5th, 1866. So, um, on May the 5th, 1868, this General John A. Logan, uh, for Civil War thing, designated it to be a day. So, cities and towns began celebrating, but do we really know what we're celebrating? I think most people in this country only see it as having a barbecue, right? Okay. Um, so, um, some people wear a red poppy, a red poppy of course, right, in remembrance of those fallen in war. That's kind of interesting that they wear a red poppy. What's the poppy for from all those poppy seeds they stole out of Afghanistan? What's the red for, this satanic Saturn worship? <laughs> On a less somber note, many people take weekend trips or throw parties and barbecues on the holiday, perhaps because Memorial Day weekend and yeah, first start of summer, okay. American soldiers died fighting foes or enemies who posed no threat to the United States. Our soldiers died for secret agendas of which they knew nothing. Capitalists hid their self-interest behind the flag, and America's boys died for the 1% bottom line. In 1916, around 1.2 British, French, and German soldiers died or were maimed in the Battle of the Somme alone. They were the cream of their generation. The British national debt multiplied tenfold after that. And remember, at the end of the war, World War One, that was settled in the um, treaties, Vers tre Treaty of Versailles, right? Well, I don't think that ever really happened because the Treaty of Versailles was signed in a room called the Hall of Mirrors. You take it from there. To me, if you sign a treaty in a room called the Hall of Mirrors, that doesn't make me think it was taken seriously, right? So, by participating in any war, we are accomplices in our own destruction. And I have been hounding on this forever. We pay taxes to make them rich. We pay taxes so they can drive around in fancy cars and live in mansions. We pay taxes and send our children to blood sacrifices. A recent poll found that only 34% of U.S. veterans of the post-9-11 military believed that the Iraq and Afghanistan wars, wars were worth fighting. U.S. soldiers now generally say they are fighting for their buddies, not for the country. So, um, you know, and what happens is central bankers finance both sides of all wars, and I believe it is to make human sacrifices to their satanic people they worship, okay? Wars are designed to sacrifice humans, in my opinion. And let me
me keep talking about how I got here, okay? The United States, I've talked about this, we have all of these nuclear places. I believe the USA is going to be the sacrifice zone. Now, I've said this for years. I've said the United States has more psychopaths residing here than any place in the world. I've said the United States is going to be going down first. I still believe it. I believe it a thousand times more than I believed it over the last few years. Why? Well, because a lot of reasons. We have all these nuclear places. And also, I did a show a long time ago about the kind of construction that is used in this country, which is different than other developed countries. And I'll give you some data here that I didn't discuss in that show, but the show will be titled Balloon. Uh, I think it will have balloon in it, balloon framing, okay? That I did it in the last year or two, okay? Anyway, oh, just so you know, over on my website, psychopathinyourlife.com, I put a tab for all the shows, okay? It says Tune In Podcast. You can look at that tab because I know when people look at lists of shows on mobile phones, it's hard to see all the shows. So we put a list of, I think it's like the last 50 or 100 shows there. So you can take a scan down that list and kind of zoom in on shows you might find more interesting than others. So anyway, so why? Why is the U.S. making homes this way, right? Because we're going to go up like a tinderbox. When these nuclear plants have any issues, there's a lot of issues with these nuclear plants, with water, with flooding, and how we construct our homes, okay? Wildfires are getting worse. So why is the United States still building homes with wood? Good question, right? The U.S. uses more forest products than any other country, not just for construction, but for furniture, flooring, and paper. Wood plays a role in American folklore, housing Abe Lincoln and employee Paul Bunyan. Man. That was the that famous Paul Bunyan, the... Um, I don't know, lumberjack or something they told us about as kids. Okay, so how does all this happen? Well, it happens by, if you look at new construction in this country, it's still the same. Look at new construction, like a big apartment building's going up. It's all being framed by wood. Huh. Okay, many credit the first balloon frame building as George Snow's 1832 Chicago warehouse. At a minimum, Chicago was an early adopter. By the late 1800s, 1800s excuse me, Chicago factories started mass-producing pre-cut framed buildings to be shipped off and nailed together on, a, on the treeless western prairies. This type of construction became known as Chicago construction, homes in the heartland. Compared to other systems, Balloon framing was cheaper. Now, why is everything about this country always cheaper, right? Nuclear to harm us is cheaper, right? Balloon framing was cheaper as it required less lumber, less skill on the part of workers, and less construction time. More importantly, the ease and speed with which one could put up a balloon frame house was quite important in terms of claiming real estate. Early on, Chicago was divided into large rectangular blocks of land and buildings on a plot of land gave one claim to it. This explains the rush to build these rather unsatisfactory constructions. Balloon frame construction method allowed Chicago to grow quickly. Chicago grew so fast that living residents were located close to factories. 
In addition to burning quickly, these structures and envelopes were quite bare in terms of insulation and did little to stop the spread of fire from building to building. Most of the buildings and roads in the business district were hastily and poorly constructed and the fire presented an opportunity for Chicago's Chicagoans to build a bigger and better city center. So wood construction had already been outlawed, but they didn't build the code in Chica Chicago until 1881, okay? In those, they, they went from three processes. All of, see, here's the thing. There were three different kinds of construction that went on in this country, okay? I, I, there was timber framing, there were balloon framing, something else. But the bottom line is this, okay? The issue is being built from wood, okay? <laughs> Not whether it was timber framed or balloon framed, okay? In those balloon framed homes, studs ran from the foundation to the roof, a long open space that channeled flames up the full length of a wall in a burning building. Modern wood framing interrupts those lines. But still, like I said, it's still being done by wood. It might interrupt it for a second, but it's still being done by wood. As Chicago elevated the vertical frontier of its first skyline, balloon frames set the stage for the Great Fire of 1871. Okay, timber frames were typical across much of America until the, 18, the late 1800s when it was surpassed by balloon framing. So if your house was built before the 1830s, then it's almost certain to be a timber frame home. So, uh, yeah, I'm sure my house is probably a balloon frame house. Um, so, um, in a catastrophic fire, I'm sure my house will get burned as the headline. Well, why would somebody be saying that? Well, <laughs> the United States has some of the highest home insurance rates in the world and some of the highest rates of home fires and home insurance companies don't give discounts for building with steel or concrete, even in fire-prone areas. In fact, they often require homeowners to rebuild quickly after fires to qualify for compensation. So it can be tempting to build with wood because it's what builders have always done, and there is a ready supply of materials and workers in place. Many timber companies even offer discounts to customers whose homes have burned down to offload supply. <laughs> so yeah, um, it said um, 360,000 home fires a year in the U.S. Home fires are seemingly more prevalent than many be assumed. They may have many causes ranging from forgetting to unplug the curling iron to problems with a home's natural gas system. So, um, yeah, there's reasons why homes burn, like electrical issues and stuff, but I would have to say Christmas trees, people love their Christmas trees and want to keep them up as long as possible. So that's a good way to start your house on fire. Cooking mistakes, another good way to start your house on fire. Um, Bad choices, like using candles or cigarettes. Um, so, um, yeah, it's interesting that um, 
people burn candles in houses and our houses are made from wood, right? That's why if you look at uh, geography, just go on Google Maps and take a tour around this country. You'll notice in the East Coast and stuff, they started off using more bricks and then they moved to the wood, right? why they move to the wood? Well, because wood was cheaper, right? And probably more effective at burning this country down in the future. I mean, come on, the facts speak for themselves, right? So, um, then, well, I started out this whole thing. I was looking into, there's this thing called the rivers, okay? The five rivers of the Greek underworld. And, um, well, so out of order here, but, you know, welcome to my world. I'm going to go ahead and play this clip now. Um, how did I wind up on fire from the underworld? Well, you'll have to just hang in there and see, okay? So let me play this clip, and we'll play the five rivers, because I think there's something here with these nuclear places being on rivers. Um this five rivers of the underworld that they believe in, um, the river Styx, S-T-Y-X, um, has to do with some Greek mythology thing. There's something to do with rivers, water, and fire in my head right now. And I will help to define what that is as I go along here. So let me see here. Let's, let's first do this um, totally out of random here. It's the five rivers of the Greek underworld. I was going to do this in another segment, but let me just play it now. Welcome to a legendary and special about the five rivers of the Greek underworld. In this special, we will talk about how the ancient Greeks imagined the land of the dead. Ancient Greeks made sense of death by believing in an afterlife, an underworld which housed the souls of the dead. This world could be accessed from Earth through places like a cavern near the ancient town of Teneris, the bottomless Alconian lake at the city of Lerna, and the volcanic lake Avernus, at least according to Greek myth. A Greek god called Hades ruled over the underworld as his kingdom. It included meadows, aftole flowers, fruit trees, and other geographic features like those found on Earth. Among the most famous are the five rivers of the underworld. Each had a unique function in the underworld and reflected a particular emotion or god associated with death. Each fed from a swamp called Akarauza. The best known is the first, the River Styx, which circles the underworld seven times, separating it from the land of the living. The Styx flowed out of Oceanus, the great river of the world which the Greeks believed included both the Atlantic and the Mediterranean. In Greek, the word Styx means to hate or abhor, and it was named after a nymph daughter of the titans Oceanus and Thetis. She lived at the entrance of Hades in a lofty grotto supported by silver columns. The Styx is where Achilles' mother, Thetis, is said to have dipped him to make him immortal. Of course, she famously forgot one of his heels. Cerberus, a dog with multiple heads and the tail of a serpent, waited on the further side of the Styx where Charon landed with the shades of the departed in his boat. 
transport depended upon payment, so during funeral rites, mourners left coins in the eyes or in the mouth of the deceased. Homer called the Styx the Dread River of Oath, for Zeus used a golden jug of water from the Styx to settle disputes among the gods. If a god swore falsely by the water, he would be deprived of nectar and ambrosia for a year and banished from Olympus for nine years. Second came the river Lethe, the river of oblivion or forgetfulness. Upon entering the underworld, the dead drank from the Lethe to forget their earthly existence. Lethe is also the name of the goddess of forgetfulness, a daughter of Eris who watches over the river Lethe. In the Greek underworld, the river Lethe also flows across the appropriately named Plain of Lethe. It also passed around the cave of Hypnos, and thus the river became closely associated with that Greek underworld god. Some tomb inscriptions even claimed the dead could keep their earthly memories by avoiding the Lethe completely and instead drinking from a stream that flowed from the lake of Nemesine, the goddess of memory. Third came the river Acheron, or River of Woe. In some tales, it is the principal river of the underworld displacing the Styx. So in those tales, the ferryman Charon takes the dead across the Acheron to move them from the upper to the lower world. It is worth noting that since no mortal ever returned to tell people what the underworld was like, people could reimagine it as they chose. And there are several other rivers in the upper and lower worlds said to be named Acheron. The best known of these is the mythic river Thespratia, said to flow through deep gorges in a wild landscape, occasionally disappearing underground and passing through a marshy lake before supposedly emerging into the Ionian Sea. According to Greek myth, it had an oracle of the dead beside it. In his play Frogs, the comic playwright Aristophanes has a character curse a villain by saying, And the crag of Acheron dripping with gore can hold you. Plato described Acheron as the lake to the shores of which the souls of the many go when they are dead, and after waiting an appointed time, which is to some a longer and to some a shorter time, they are sent back again to be born as animals. This is one of the few references to reincarnation in Greek myth. The fourth river is the Phlegathon, called the River of Fire because it is said to travel to the depths of the underworld, a land filled with fire made by funeral pyres. The river Phlegathon leads to Tartarus, which is where the dead are judged and where one finds the prison of the Titans, whom Zeus vanquished. One version of the Persephone story has her eating the pomegranate seeds being reported to Hades by Ascophilos, a son of Acheron by an underworld nymph. For revenge, Persephone sprinkled him with water from the Phlegathon to transform him into a screech owl. When Aeneas ventures into the underworld in the Aeneid, Virgil described the fiery surroundings with treble walls, which Phlegathon surrounds, whose fiery flood the burning empire bounds. Plato also mentions it as the source of volcanic eruptions, writing, Streams of lava which spout up at various places on earth are offshoots from it. 
Some Greeks believed that condemned sinners in Tartarus would be tortured in the boiling waters of Phlegathon. Fifthly, and finally, is Cocytus, called the River of Wailing. It is a river of cries and lamentation for the souls that Charon refused to ferry over since they had not received a proper burial would find their wandering grounds there. In his geography, Halcinus believed that Homer named the Cocytus after a series of rivers in Thesprotia, which he described as a most unlovely stream, and found the area so miserable he named the deepest rivers in Hades after them. That wraps things up for this episode of the Legendarium. I hope you enjoy. What does that have to do with rivers? I don't really know yet. I don't really know yet. I started off looking into this sticks, S T Y X business. And then I wandered into fires. Fires, okay. Um, why was I looking at fires? Well, fires are pretty important because if you remember, fires are how they use to destroy evidence, right? Fires may also be a way they use to destroy um, people. Um, just as a little aside as far as fires, um, <laughs> the chemicals used by firefighters are very deadly. They can cause many types of cancer and other medical issues. Yeah, those firemen use, they use foam called AFFF foam, okay? And, um, well, yeah, it pollutes the water, it does everything. Um, so, yeah, they, the fire firefighting foam contains those PFASs. Yes, firemen, fire people. I thought fire people have their... Um, had snakes on their logo, but they don't. I'll get to that in a second here, okay? Um, and how we get so diverted from things, right? Now the headlines are things like, researchers are ripping gas stoves from their homes for their kids' health. <laughs> well, if you really wanted to focus on your children's health, I would su suggest that you don't let them sleep near smart meters. That would be the first place to start, not your gas stove. Okay, um... So then I was looking into fire, which gets very interesting, right? Because remember in San Francisco, I said that it was dynamite and fire that made a lot of people lose their property. So, um, because I don't know if I said this when I started off, so I'll say it now. The U.S. is, what, 30-some trillion that we know of in debt, right? And that debt was put on our backs of the taxpayers per our birth certificates. So I'm not real sure what the plan is for those trillions of dollars because what are they gonna do? Invite the Chinese over here to collect their debt by living here and making us slaves? It doesn't really start to make a lot of sense at some point because if we were the collateral that they use to get all these debts and stuff, right? How are they planning on repaying their debt with the US population? By just for fun, just blow us all up, that'll be how they'll pay our debt, they get to do an HBO-like thing, so when they blow up this country, all the people that have debt will say, oh, look, there goes your debt. We blew up all those bad people in the United States. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, the first Roman fire brigade. Remember, they write the stories. Them and their his story is, right? The first Roman fire brigade, of which we have any substantial history, was, well, history, was created by a person named Marcus L Crassus, C-R-A-S-S-U-S. Marcus was born into a wealthy Roman family around the year 115 BC and acquired an enormous fortune through fire and rapine. 
R-A-P-I-N-E. What's fire and rapine? Well, rapine is the violent seizure and carrying off of another's property or plunder. Rapine, right? So they started with these firefighters under this C-R-A-S-S-U-S person in Rome. Rapine, what does it mean in the Bible? The act of plundering, the seizing and carrying away of things by force, spoilation, pillage, plunder, violence, force, also to plunder. One of his most lucrative, this is this Crassus, C-R-A-S-S-U-S person, one of his most lucrative schemes took advantage of the fact that Rome had no fire department. Crassus filled this void by creating his own brigade. 500 men strong would rush to burning buildings at the first cry of alarm. Upon arriving at the scene, however, the firefighters did nothing while their employer bargained over the price of their services with the distressed property owner. If Crassus could not negotiate a satisfactory price, his men simply let the structure burn to the ground, after which he offered to purchase it for a fraction of its value. Yeah, I think what they're doing is they're going to burn this country to the ground, and then somebody will get it for a fraction of its value. Isn't that how these things work? The great fire that occurred under the reign of Nero is a story that has been retold many times over the years, but the men who fought the fire have been a bit overlooked in the wake of people more concerned with the emperor and with the persecution of Christians, whom Nero may have blamed the glaze on. We have numerous sources for the fire, with each taking a different view of its severity. The historian Tacitus remarked that this fire was graver and more terrible than any other which had befallen the city. This reconstruction focuses heavily on his account, although we have a number of later historians who recount the disaster. So they say that this Marcus Crassus person, who had a corps, C-O-R-P, which also we know now means corporation, right, of slaves made up of about 500 men. These slaves served as architects, builders, and engineers. Allegedly, much of Crassus' property was obtained by showing up at fires and offering to buy property from the owners as it was ablaze. And this historian said, let me scroll down here. Okay, the historian said, um, he would buy houses that were afire, and houses which adjoined these which were afire, and then their owners would let go at a thrifting price owing to their fear and uncertainty. So he could get people around that house. That one house would be on fire, and he could get everybody else afraid of the uncertainty. It sounds to me like this is how they set up our entire psychology here. So, um... So then they, um, there's a whole thing with this Roman fire thing that I'm not going to get into, but there's a patron saint of fire people, okay? Okay, um, 
The Emperor Augustus formed a formal fire brigade called the Vigiles, V-I-G-I-L-E-S, in response to a flood and then a fire. So there are always these floods and fires. This is what got me hammering down this rabbit hole, okay? So there is this word I didn't understand called manumitted. Is a verb that means to release from slavery or bondage, emancipate. But I don't think we've been released from anything. We've been actually enslaved. But there's a patron saint of firefighters is Saint Florian, F-L-O-R-I-A-M. He was a Christian who rose up, blah, blah, blah. Okay. I think the whole trick was this. They started out pagan in these stories, then they became Christians, and you know, the paganism never stopped is the bottom line here. Um, and uh, let me get, this Florian person is pretty big, but you know, here's the point here, okay? There's, the fire people have this logo. It's called the fire department logo, okay? It looks very much like the Malta logo, M-A-L-T-A logo, okay? Um, so they call it the St. Florian's Cross, but it looks very much like the Malta. I really have to pay attention to say it looks like the Malta until I really can look at it closely. But they seem to think it looks like the Malta thing, okay? But they call it a Florinian Cross. And the other interesting thing, red and white are the traditional colors of the fire departments in the United States with gold and black. Um, and then they have that Maltese Cross that's not that interesting for here. And here we get into the sacrifice, right? Firemen are also seen as somebody who sacrifices. Yes, sacrifice. Firemen sacrifice their lives for the public, right? Um, so yeah, firemen are also play into this sacrifice business. Um, and then that whole history of why do the Jews no longer offer animal sacrifices? How do Jewish people today believe they can receive forgiveness from God? Because they claim this sacrifice business with animals went away with Christianity. Well, I would have to say that it just came with another, another purpose, right? And if you want to look further... The heart of Edgar Allan Poe, the raven, is the river Styx, S-T-Y-X. It is all about this symbolism. And the Knights Plutonium Shore, yeah, this all has to do with symbolism, with this plutonium business, with, with rivers. So let me, um, okay. Pluto, remember, Plutonium, right? Pluto is the Roman god of death, and according to the Roman myth, anyone who dies will have to travel down to the underworld. The dead had to cross the river Styx, and to be able to cross the river, this person who died will have to be bur buried with a coin in his mouth so that he could pay the ferryman Charon, C-H-A-R-O-N, for the ride across the river. The river Styx is a bad omen because even the gods cannot escape its powers. If they come in contact with it, they will lose their voice for nine years. The Amazon River is the longest river on Earth, over 4,300 miles long, 
and was the birthplace of many ancient cultures. In the land of the dead, the river of hate, or river stinks, dominates the underworld. Its murky depths may turn you into an unbeatable god, but more likely fate will be death. So the river Styx is a principal river in the Greek underworld, also called Hades, H-A-D-E-S, which means hell. The river forms a border between the underworld and the world of the living. The word means hate in Greek and is named after the goddess Styx. She was the daughter of Oceanus and Teres. The river Styx is not the only river in Hades. In that clip earlier, they talked about these other rivers, okay? The other major rivers include the River of Pain, the River of Forgetfulness, the River of Fire, and the River of Wailing. And Charon, C-H-A-R-N, the ferryman, ferries the souls of the dead across the river into the underworld, but he requires payment for his duties. He would locate his coin traditionally in the mouth of the dead. Without payment, the dead would not get into the underworld and would be left to drift on the shore for a hundred years. So um, they use the river stinks to swear oaths upon. Sounds like they're lawyers, right? Um, the river stinks was believed to have magical powers and could make a person invulnerable. Archelaus was allegedly, allegedly dipped into the river by his mother, making him invulnerable, but his ankle remained a weak point as he was suspended by it when dipped into the river. Achilles became a great warrior, but he eventually died when an arrow struck him in the ankle. The weak point became known as the Achilles heel. Ancient historians believe the death of Alexander the Great, the king of Macadamia, may have been the result of the poisoned water of the stinks. Modern scientific sources reveal the water may have contained a deadly bacterium. In Italy, this is, this is what they claim is the real river stinks. Interesting that it just happens to be in Italy, right? In Italy, a river which runs partially underground, called the Alpheus, A-L-P-H-E-U-S River, is viewed as a possible portal to the underground where mortals can enter. Couples who cons consider the river to be the river stinks throw rings into its water to appease the gods of marriage. Another possible variant of the stinks, according to this person, is a stream in Arcadia, Greece. The name of the stream means black water. The ancient Greeks believed that the water in the river was poisonous. They believed that if someone tried to carry its water in anything other than a container made of horse's hoof, the container would dissolve. In the land of the living, there may not be a river of hate, fire, or pain flowing through our backyard, but the various religions and cultures of the world, like that of the ancient Greeks, have long engaged in a plethora of cultural burial rites for the dead. These include practices such as burying the corpse with money, jewels, food, not burying somebody in the clothes of a... With, 
they're talking about not burying someone to clothe a living person, lest a living person, I don't know. They, they also believed in pulling out the nails of the dead and even tying a camel to the grave of a recently deceased person. As the story goes, when your soul reached the river stinks, a boatman named Charon would give you a ride to the underworld. But the ride was not free. If your family hadn't, had not buried you with a coin to use as payment, you were stuck. Some souls who did not have a coin tried to swim across the river stinks. Some made it, most didn't. For those souls who received a ride in Charon's boat or managed to swim across the river, there was little to do on the other side except wait to be reborn into a new body. These souls would not remember their prior life. They would start over as an infant. So unlike the ancient Egyptians, the ancient Greek didn't spend a lot of time planning for their afterlife because they did not expect to be there very long. According to Greek mythology, some people were shocked to discover that they would be stuck there for some time, in some cases forever. Some souls were sent to the underworld as punishment. For others, it seemed to take quite a while to find just the right body. The underworld was not packed, but it was populated. And I have this other little story here. It's kind of interesting. When Aeneas, A-E-N-E-A-S, descended into the underworld, he met Pluto, the god of death. And that was, the Greek equivalent was Hades. He, this Greek, and, anyway, it's all the same. The boundary between the earth and the underworld is formed by the river Styx. And those who had to cross the river had to pay. So yeah, um, once in the underworld, the dead entered Pluto's domain, which he ruled with a strong hand. So Pluto was the one running the underworld, right? He was stricter than the rest of the gods. According to Virgil, he was also the father of the furries, or the who were vicious deities of vengeance. They judged and destroyed any soul who had sworn a false oath when living. Hmm. So that was um, the underworld. The ancient Greek made sense of death by believing in an afterlife during which the souls of those who passed would travel to and live in the underworld. Hades was a Greek god that ruled that part. No, I don't know about this underworld stuff. Um, so the river stinks is what we're really looking for because that appears to be the place between the underworld and life and having to do with Pluto. Can't, can't get away from that Pluto deal with the death thing, right? Um, in every river has this, I mean, there I could have put together a million clips about these rivers, okay? Um, because I'll close with this part here because I know this is very wandering. I hope I hope you get it. Okay. Here's this article: flood threat to nuclear plants covered up by regulators. So federal regulators had already cited this facility for safety issues, right? But here's a concern: when I say this country is a sac sacrifice zone, right? 
all these reactors are built on water, right? All of our homes are pretty much built by wood, pretty much, right? Um, <laughs> um, so we also, in this country, have places, they built these states called sacrifice zones in the United States, okay? Um, these sacrifice zones are places in different states. Nebraska is actually a sacrifice zone. <laughs> I get all the good picks, don't I? <laughs> How it works is this. They supposedly have these missiles buried under the ground in five or six states here in this country. I think it's five states, okay? Nebraska being one of them. Well, the idea of these sacrifice zones within the country, besides all the other sacrifice zones, right, um, would be that, the hope would be that if the Russians knew that these missiles were located in these five places, including Nebraska, well, what the thinking is, which is pretty eroded and pretty bad, but the thinking is, is that, well, they would, they would waste all their energy sending their missiles to these locations here, which are not that populated. <laughs> well, it doesn't make any sense, okay? But supposedly, there's five, five or so cities in this area which are targeted as sacrifice zones, okay, <laughs> because of these missiles. ICBM missiles, just look for it, okay. And here was my thing about water and water, nuclear plants, and dams, okay. USA nuclear plants at increased flood risk from dams failures in 2023. <laughs> so this is a list. The following 34 U.S. nuclear plants were identified as being at heightened risk of flood damage due to upstream dam failures, okay? Um, there's a pretty good list of them. Um, we got Alabama, Arkansas, Louisiana, Minnesota, Nebraska. <laughs> I've got two here in Nebraska. I have the Cooper Nuclear Place and a place called Fort Calhoun. I'll have to look into those later. New Jersey, New York, uh, let me see here. These are the ones that are all at risk. North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Texas, South Carolina, Vermont, Virginia, Washington. So yeah, you might wanna take a look at what you have around your uh, own home, okay? And I'm gonna be playing this song by, um, there is this movie called Mad Max, okay? And because Tina Turner, love those two T's, right? T-T, supposedly died this week. She sang that song, What's Love Got to Do With It? <laughs> well, we're, I don't know. Love might help people, but we're surrounded in, in a country of hate. But anyway, so um, there was this thing about, the movie had this thing called the Thunderdome, okay? And the Thunderdome was where people went in to fight or do something like that. I don't understand it, but it's a pretty good song, and so I will play it now because I think I'm closing off here. I really um, think I've covered it all because I'm just laying out the reasons why I feel like the United States is, in fact, a sacrifice zone, okay? We've got all these weird things with the river sticks business and the water and river sticks is polluted. People shouldn't drink it. Nobody makes it to the other side. Um, we've got all these nuclear plants that no other country in the world has. Almost all of our construction is pretty much done with wood. <laughs> uh, things are adding up to me that this looks like a, 
uh, sacrifice though. But I'm, I'm also, just because I've been saying this for years that the U.S. was going down first, I am absolutely not doing confirmation bias research, okay? I think the evidence speaks for itself as far as what, why did they come over here? What did they do with this country? Why did all these wars happen? Remember, during these wars, a lot of able-bodied men were murdered, okay? So what is this all about? What is it all about? And I certainly hope to see you soon, and I'll be thinking about this more. Oh, also, even, um, you know, they have all these characters like um, SpongeBob and stuff. These people, all, they're all around nuclear places, right? Like the Miss USA is a nuclear scientist. Um, <laughs> we've got all these rivers being polluted by dioxin. Um, the Omaha, the uh, excuse me, Mississippi River has just been a polluted dump the last all these years and it's just only gotten worse so why do we have all these nuclear places near water why do we have all these homes built of wood
so fast. I have to add this segment here. Well, it makes a certain amount of sense. A uh, couple things. One is that um, I didn't really address this um, target area for these nuclear things, so let me address that. It is called, and I also have a clip to play. There's a woman who did a clip for Rocky Flats. Let me get to that in a second here. Okay. The ongoing saber-rattling by Vladimir Putin has raised concerns about a nuclear conflict to a level not seen since the 1980s. 80s. Nuclear strategists have tried to calm nerves, insisting that the odds of a situation escalating to one that would lead to such a disastrous scenario are remote. Still, Antonio Guterres, a Secretary General of the United Nations, acknowledged this week, and this was the 2017, I think the article was from, that the prospect of nuclear war is now back with the realm of possibility. Those stark statements have caused some Americans to wonder if they're in a high-target area. While the overall risk of nuclear war is low, and there's no telling where Putin will strike in the unlikely scenario that he decides to attack the U.S., people in a handful of states are likely feeling a bit more uncomfortable than folks in other parts of the country. During the Cold War between the U.S. and the former, isn't it funny that Cold War, you know, they were all so happy together during World War II. Russia was over there just fighting away on the, with all the allies. And then just like a miracle, right after World War II, Russia became the enemy <clears throat> in the red communist country. <laughs> Imagine that. Okay, during the Cold War between the U.S. and Russia, government officials began to install intercontinental ballistic missiles, also known as ICBM silos, in the middle of the country, specifically in sparsely populated areas of northern Colorado, Wyoming, Nebraska, Montana, and North Dakota. These were designed to be the first targets in the event of an attack. A nuclear sponge is the word you're looking for, a sponge, S-P-O-N-G-E, that would draw fire away from more urban areas. Sounds to me like some kind of crazy plan, somebody, some tranny taking too many hormones and too much cocaine cooked up. A term like nuclear sponge isn't reassuring, but the thinking goes like this, as specified by retired General Jim Mathis in his 2017 confirmation hearing for Secretary of Defense. Because the missiles are buried so deep in the ground in those areas, enemies would need to commit two, three, or four weapons to take each one out, thus absorbing much of the enemy's arsenal. Because the silos are located in sparsely populated areas of the plains, proponents argue that fewer lives are put at direct risk. But the logic of designating an area as a prime attack zone in a nuclear conflict is puzzling to many, and the concept of a nuclear sponge is one that has drawn criticism for decades. In 1978, Dominique, some retired Navy captain, said he rallied against the strategy saying it is madness to use United States real estate as a great sponge to absorb Soviet nuclear weapons. The objective of our military forces and strategy should be to reduce the weight of any potential attack on U.S. real estate rather than attracting even more. There are plenty of other arguments to be made today. 
Nukes, of course, no longer have to be delivered via ICBMs and can be launched from submarines and bombers. And Russia's arsenal reportedly has more than 1,500 warheads deployed on strategic long-range systems and almost 3,000 in reserve. That's more than enough to strike larger cities in addition to saturating the sponge. Despite the criticism, the U.S. appears to be committed to the idea of a nuclear sponge in those five states. The Pentagon plans to spend $264 billion on its next-generation ICBM program, which would upgrade the silos and missiles and ensure the absorbency of the sponge for decades to come. We're not making this up. That's what former Defense Secretary Jim Mathis told Congress. However, sacrificing the upper Midwest not only undervalues the people who live there, but would not actually spare the residents of other states. A major nuclear war with Russia would doom the entire nation. It would little matter whether one resides in Manhattan or Montana. Why are we rebuilding the nuclear sponge? The answer, as House Armed Services Committee Chair Adam Smith recently highlighted, has much more to do with parochial interests and money than national security. Do you even imagine, I, I, do you think these things are even real there? I mean, do they really have these ICB missiles there? <laughs> that, that, that has to be the first question that comes to our heads, right? They're saying they have all these missiles buried there, but do they really? I don't know, do you? When asked at a recent press conference why states would want to host the missiles and thereby put themselves at risk, Smith said, only partly in jest, they're fond of their missiles. Apparently, they want to be targeted in a nuclear first strike, he said. And then more seriously, he said, they want the jobs, no matter the circumstances. And that's not rationale, it's parochial. Yeah, they come into these poor areas because people want jobs. Imagine if we didn't have to work for money, like where we came from, right? All this money stuff. Okay. With current ICBMs getting older, the Trump administration has greenlit a new cohort of missiles as part of almost two trillion nuclear rebuild plan over the next 30 years. So they're planning on two trillion dollars to rebuild nuclear. The price tag for some ICBM alone is potentially 140 billion. That contract is currently slated to go to Northrop Grumman, even as of flights, um, which may cost taxpayers billions. Northrop Grumman ha and others have hijacked the nuclear security agenda of the United States through the usual Washington channels, lobbying and campaigning contributions. In the 2018 election cycle, Northrop spent $5.6 million in campaign contributions. This Mathis worked for General, it's a revolving door. He worked for General Dynamics and received speaker's fees from Northrop German. The current defense secretary, Mark Epps, worked for, they all work for somebody. They all circle around. Okay, so programs such as ICBM are strategically unnecessary, economically unsustainable, and morally abhorrent. Yes, it is kind of abhorrent that people think it's okay to, whether they're real or fake, people seem to think it is okay to aim missiles at some of us in this country. So, um, let me see. 
and now I can't find the darn list. It was um, Montana, Nebraska, North Dakota. I read the list earlier. Sorry, I forgot I read the list. Okay, so next. So yeah, nuclear sponge is the word you're looking for, okay? Here again, it just reinforces my point. They're using eugenics to get rid of the most, most of us who are of the, what they consider the lower caste of this system first, right? Otherwise, why would they target places like Nebraska with nuclear weapons? Whether real or imagined, it just goes to show the thinking of people in this country, right? And other people also think the same way. Like, for example, people who work as managers in office buildings see the people who work as the clerks in office buildings as a lower caste system. So if I were you, I would get a handle on your thinking as far as other people because we are, in fact, treated differently than other people and quite unfairly. But it doesn't just start at the top. It starts with other people treating the rest of us this way. So just check your attitude at the door and start to think, where am I getting these attitudes from? Are these the kind of attitudes that decent, caring people should behold? I would say no. Stop going after each other. So for, first of all, I'm going to play this one clip. She did a series of five clips. She was a worker at the Rocky Flats, okay? And it's interesting because if we understood that the FBI was formed by a group of crooks in the early 1900s over that Osage nation, O-S-A-G-E nation, and the FBI did a show about it, that was the formation of the FBI. Now, what happened to those people from the Osage nation that the FBI came on board to help? Well, they all ended up murdered, right? <laughs> murdered and robbed. So if we understood how these things got started, maybe we wouldn't have given so much credence. But even at that, people still talk about Hoover as being some sort of crazy cross-dresser and stuff and in his office doing all this kind of stuff. But yet people still think the FBI is a legitimate group of people. So this woman is very interesting. Her name is Judy Padilla, P-A-D-I-L-L-A. She is taking a deposition for some lawsuit that went on at Rocky Flats. And there was a couple of things that Judy mentioned here that I had no clue about the fact that they didn't really close down when they were supposed to at Rocky Flats, and they brought in prisoners. I kid you not. They brought in prisoners as far as the cleanup. So let's get Judy going here. And um, she tells an interesting story, but there are five parts of her story. I'm only going to play the first uh, eight-minute clip here, okay, because I found it very interesting what she had to say. The first nuclear weapons plant in America to ever be decommissioned and demolished, the first one. I think it was because it's like a testing ground, because if they closed down Savannah River or Hanford or uh, Y-12, any of the other places, Rocky Flats would be the first, and oh yeah, it was supposed to take 30 years or something, it ended up taking like six years or something, and it, it was, yeah, yeah, it, it was it, it was ridiculous, and you know it wasn't that. It's because they did it by taking shortcuts and and putting the workers at risk by telling them just shut up and get in there and do it. At one point, they even brought prisoners with ankle bracelets to come out to the site. I saw them with my own eyes in buses with cops with guns to go in there and do menial work 
Yeah. But did they tell those people what they were working with? I don't think so. I don't know. I wasn't there, but. The 69 fire, no, but I was there during the 771 fire. I, I, I was there in a couple of fires. They had a lot of fires out there. They had one that almost got away from them while I was there. And they had everybody leave the building. Then they got scared because they would have to report it to the DOE. So they had everybody come back in the building and then leave the building again. Now, how crazy is that? Several of them lost their jobs over that. Well, they didn't really. They just moved them to a different facility. The raid happened there in 89. Mm-hmm. I was there then. Not really. Well, they said... He was asking her about the raid with the FBI that happened. And supposedly, after that raid, things were shut down. This is her response. They were supposed to shut everything down, but they had so much material in process that they had to finish whatever it was to go, to go on through the system. You know, nuclear weapons, bombs, kits. You bet. You bet. They had to finish what was partially completed. They couldn't just leave it in the configuration it was in. They had to complete it. Well, I worked there. I started out there in 1982. And I worked out there until it was closed in 2005. I started in the foundry where we melted the pups, the plutonium pups, into in these furnaces. All this work was done in a glove box with a three mil thick lead lined glove. You put your hands and arms in a glove box and your face up against the window and you worked in a glove box, in an inert atmosphere glove box. Um, in 1989, when the FBI came in and closed it, it was because somebody said that they were burning waste at night and the plumes were contaminating the air or something like that. Well, I didn't work in that particular building. That was 771 building. I worked at that time in 707 building where the foundry was, where we were melting the pups and pouring it from the liquid plutonium into molds and whatnot, processing the metal. Well, uh, as it so happened, I was called in by the FBI. It scared the death out of me because um, they called me into the office and just like on TV, there were these men with suits on and they flashed this badge and said, you from the FBI and we want to ask you some questions. And I said, well, okay. <laughs> I did, it was scary to me. That had never happened to me before. So I, I said, okay. And they said, where were you at such and such o'clock on September 9th? And I said, well, I don't know. I guess I was here at work. They said, well, we have your name on this log sheet. You signed in. You were in this room when supposedly this burning was happening. Did you see any burning going on? And I said, well, no. I said, I don't remember seeing any burning going on. And I don't even remember being in that building on that particular day. But just ask yourself if you could remember what you did on a specific day 
after that little episode with Espeon, I carried a little booklet around with me, and every day that I worked at Rock Track, I wrote down what room I was in, who I worked with, who could back me up, because it just scared the heck out of me. I didn't know, you know, if I was in trouble, if I did something wrong, or what. But after that, I took a, a little log of where I was, who I was working with, what I was doing. And I did that till I left Rock Track in 205, and I still do it. Every day I write a little few sentences down every day. But um, we did, they did, they said that they stopped production, but what we did finish up stuff that was in the lines, and we still worked on for years after that thing in 89 to get stuff out of the boxes. Well, in, in the process, we didn't just stop everything and pull everything out of the boxes. We went on ahead with the processes we were doing. In the foundry, what we did is we melted metal in these molds. We broke the molds out. We put the, the ingots in these what they call bird cages. They were on like a conveyor line, and they went into a vault where they were stored, and we took little pieces off that we sent to the lab to analyze the, the metallurgy of the ingots that we, that we had poured. Um, from that, they made up, you had to have the metallurgy just right. Uh, plutonium is a, is a funny metal in that when it cools, instead of shrinking like most metals would, it expands. It's also a pyrophoric where it has to be handled in a inert atmosphere, uh, which is how you work on it, because if it's in oxygen, it burns. That's why there's so many fires out there. And I was involved in a couple of fires out there. One fire was in the we used to take, after we finish up, we, these metal ingots, they would be rolled out, pressed, extruded on this big machine, and made into a, what they call derby hat. Then it was, the edges were trimmed off, and it was machines with certain uh, classified thickness. It was weighed in a, um, a bath. Uh, yarn, I think it was. We weighed them in air and then in this liquid solution. Uh, very precise. Uh, they were, two hemi shells were made, like half circles. Then they were put together in a ball and they were placed in these big uh, extrude uh, uh, furnaces to be annealed where they would be raised to a certain temperature and they would be lowered to certain temperatures. All these temperatures, all this stuff was very classified. You weren't allowed to talk about your job. You weren't allowed to even to talk to your co-workers about what you did. It, it was all involved in a need-to-know basis. So what you did, your little portion of the job, you may not know what happened to it on down the line, or you may not know what happened to this thing before you got it, but 
we never were, we were told we weren't allowed to speak about anything we did out there. It was all very secret. We were all had to have what they call clearance, which is the highest clearance that a, a private citizen can hold. Someone who's not in the military, we had to have background checks. We had to go through all this stuff where they would in, thoroughly investigate your background. We were told that you weren't to discuss what you did at Rocky Flats with anybody. I didn't even, when I first went to work out there in the 80s, I didn't even tell my husband what I did out there. I, you know, I just told him that, you know, I worked out there and I didn't go into it. See how it works? Secrecy, right? Secrecy, get everybody thinking the other guy doesn't know anything, you don't know anything. I went to a movie whoops, 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 whoops. in the 80s. Oh, I played his part. Right after I started at Rocky Flats, and my husband and I went with another couple was sitting in the movie theater, and I went, <gasps> and he said, what? And I said, what you're looking at is what I do at Rocky Flats, because they had the suits on, they had the... Yeah, she really tells quite a story. I would really encourage you to go and hear the rest of her shattering. Um, yeah, it's something else. They always get us with jobs, right? I would hope, and I hope, and I hope that through all of this, possibly some of you who have more to share will be sharing more with those of us who need more help. There's going to be a lot of pain coming down in the world, a lot of pain coming down. I can't even tell you how much. I may not be here to see it all, but I'll be able to watch it from where I am. So be safe out there. And remember, what we can do for each other is the most important thing. And mind the little ones, okay? game show is almost over. I'm pretty sure that hoarding it all till the end is not going to work to your advantage, just saying. I think if you're thinking that he who dies with the most toys wins, you're engaging in some pretty psychopathic thinking, and that's what I think these people are up to. I honestly think they believe that they're going to win by getting rid of our DNA and the rest of us. Are they, or is anybody going to stick up for each other? Time will tell. I hope everybody will stick up for each other. That's my hope, and I'm not going to go negative. I hope. Man,
so distracted today, I forgot to say, the song is called, He Ain't Heavy, He's My Brother. Came here smart. Don't end it by playing stupid. Be safe out there and goodbye for now. <laughs>